Hello, and welcome to the Master Key Podcast, where we help you unlock your original design so that you can live in the fullness of your destiny. What does it mean to live an abundant life? On today's podcast, Dennis is sharing what it truly means to live a life in the kingdom of God. For more information and other resources, please visit us at masterkey.guide. When I was a young believer, I was having a hard time discerning whether certain things were from God or certain things were from the enemy. I grew up in a church that wasn't really sure who the devil was or what sort of things he would try to do. And so it left me confused sometimes. And then I stumbled on what I consider to be one of the most important verses in the entire New Testament. I'm talking about John 10, verse 10. And here Jesus is talking and he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When I heard this verse, it was like a sword and it just pierced through the situations in my life and it became easy for me to see whether it was the enemy who was stealing, killing and destroying or whether it was actually Jesus who came to give me life and that I might have it more abundantly. Of course, God wants you to have abundant life. And he wants you to be able to overcome the enemy as he would try to steal from you or try to put to death things that are important to you, your dreams, your vision, your destiny, and try to destroy those things that God is trying to bring forth in your life. I believe there's a godly jealousy for each one of us where he desires that we would not only have life, but have it more abundantly. I'm calling this talk abundant life. You know, sometimes I think I have more passion, more vision, more hope, and more positive expectation for people's lives than they have for themselves. It's always amazing to me when I meet Christians who are just kind of passively floating through life, not really contending for anything, not really striving towards the the high calling that is theirs in Christ. They just kind of let life happen to them. And, you know, the enemy comes and he's busy. He he deceives, he lies, he uh, robs, and he tries to uh, steal their joy and take away really the vision that God has given to them. So um, I spend a lot of time actually encouraging people to contend for their destinies, to press in to what God has planned for them. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope, plans for good and not for evil. You know, if you're praying about the will of God, let me just summarize it there. His will for you is for good and not for evil. His will for you is that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Anything that would appear to rob, kill, or destroy is not from God. Jesus clearly tells us who it's from. It's from the thief and the robber. It's from the devil. And so we can resist those things and we can lay hold of those things that bring life and bring it more abundantly. 
I'm also encouraging people regularly to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now, what does that actually mean? The word says those that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but those who sow to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Many people live their lives in the flesh, although they're Christian. And then from the flesh, they reap all this disappointment and barrenness and, you know, maybe despair or whatever, because they're living in the flesh, sowing to the flesh and reaping from the flesh. We get to make a choice every day. I can walk in the flesh today or I can walk in the spirit. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means to live out of the part of us that was born again when we received Jesus. We have the divine nature inside of us. It's called eternal life. The Greek word is zoe, zoe life. And we can live out of that life, God's life, or we can live out of the fallen nature, which we call the flesh or self, and we can live our day in the flesh. It also means, if we're walking in the spirit, that we're actually living in the kingdom. God is a spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if you want abundant life, here's the key. You need to live in the spirit. You need to live in the kingdom because that's where God is. That's where your destiny is. And that's where abundant living comes from. Now, again, a very important verse in the New Testament that identifies exactly what the kingdom is, is found in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Paul here sums up the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There you have it right there. Three things summarize the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about righteousness for a minute. Right off the bat, when it says, the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's not talking about my righteousness or your righteousness. The Bible clearly says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Those of us walking in the flesh can never really please God. And our self-righteousness falls drastically short of the standard that God has set. There's only one righteousness that pleases him. There's only one standard of righteousness that God accepts. And I'll tell you what it is. It's Christ's righteousness. Anything less than that is unacceptable to God. The righteousness of the Pharisees was not enough. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will all likewise perish. Well, I don't know about you, but I've already blown it on that front. My righteousness will never exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's why I need 
someone else's righteousness to atone for me. And of course, the only one worthy, the only spotless lamb that could take my place and provide for me a righteousness that pleases God, of course, is Jesus himself. The good news is each one of us have been given as a free gift the righteousness of Christ. This is a spotless white linen robe that we get to put on. And it's like God takes all the righteousness that belongs to Jesus and he imputes that to us. What does that word impute means? It means it's like he takes it, you know, from Jesus' bank account and deposits it in my bank account, which then makes it mine. So the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't say anything about you establishing your own righteousness. In fact, Jesus said, the faith I now have is the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I now have a righteousness that does not come from the law or keeping the law, but my righteousness comes by faith in the Son of God. Ours is a faith righteousness, exactly like Abraham's was. Because Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous in himself. He was a sinner like all of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here is the awesome good news. You don't have to strive to attain some kind of righteousness of your own. You don't have to slave and labor and carry heavy yokes and, you know, uh, make sacrifices, you know, constantly to try to earn a right standing with God. That's what righteousness actually means, a right standing with God. So I already know how it's going to be for me on Judgment Day. If God were to ask me, Dennis, why should I allow you into my heaven? I only have one answer. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and his blood cleansing me and making me worthy. It's his righteousness I'm counting on. And I won't be pointing to one thing that I did because, of course, my righteousness falls short in every way. Now, here's a staggering thought for you. Right now, I can boldly say, sitting here in this chair, February of 2021, that I will never be more righteous than I am right now. When I'm in heaven for 10,000 years, I will never be more righteous in God's eyes than I am right now. Why? Because the righteousness I have is Christ's righteousness. And that's as good as it gets. 
So we aren't striving to earn righteousness. We have already been made righteous. We are complete in Christ. And this makes the whole difference. If you want abundant life, you need to be free from the law. You need to be free from the demands of the law. You need to be free from sin and condemnation and guilt and all those things that come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once you know that you are righteous and you can rest in what Jesus did on the cross, the Christian life becomes very simple, very easy, actually, because we rest in what he did, what he has accomplished, not in what we are trying to do. So religion says, do, do, do. And Christianity says, done, done, done. <laughs> and that's partly where the joy comes from, which I'll talk about in a minute. Now, I will never be more righteous than I am right now. Although I might grow in the fruit of holiness, I might grow in sanctification. I will never grow in righteousness. Because I now have already here on this earth a right standing with God. Isn't that exciting? I don't have to feel unworthy. I don't have to feel shamed or disqualified. I don't need to feel any condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so we can, therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace every day, a hundred times a day if we need to, with no sense of guilt, condemnation, fear of rejection, or unworthiness. Any such talk of, oh Lord, I'm unworthy, oh Lord, how could you forgive such a worm as I? Well, you've forgotten about what Jesus did on the cross. Because what he did has made you worthy. It has cleansed you. And God says, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Don't make the blood of Jesus less powerful than your sin. Because where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. And the blood of Jesus is more than enough to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is such good news. If you could just get this, you could live the rest of your life in the joy of the Lord and have God's peace at all times. But if you don't get this, it's like you're, you're defaulting back to zero all the time. And every day you'll, try, you'll have to try to rebuild that account to somehow make yourself worthy or righteous, which of course we cannot do. I thank you, Lord, right now that you did everything that I could not do for myself. You paid a debt you did not owe, and I owed a debt I could not pay. And Lord, you deposited all of that into my account, and I receive it right now. And I accept God's verdict of me that says he finds no fault in me. 
because I am now hid in Christ and he is in me. And guess what? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am that right now. And because I am, I'm an heir of the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom belongs to me. There's nothing I have to try to do to earn it or prove it or merit it. You know, grace means God's unmerited favor. And that is the great news I have for all of us today. We stand in his work on the cross, which has made us absolutely worthy. And when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees a perfectly clean and righteous son or daughter. Thank you, Lord. Well, I could go on and on about the righteousness part of the kingdom of God, but I want to talk about the, the second part now, which is peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the peace of God is different than human peace. Sometimes we can find a few moments of peace here or there as human beings. It's very shallow. It's very short-lived, and it's basically dependent on circumstances. If all my ducks are lined up in a row and everybody's being nice to me and there's no stress and no pressure, maybe for a few minutes I might feel the kind of peace that this world offers. I'm not talking about that kind of peace today. I'm talking about God's peace which is in a whole different category. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give unto you. And the peace of God, King James says, passes all understanding. The actual word there in the Greek would be better translated, transcends. The peace of God transcends all understanding. What does that mean? It means that I can be going through one of the darkest nights of my life. I can be going through persecution, affliction, all kinds of, you know, resistance, maybe even spiritual warfare. And I can still have the peace of God, which transcends it means it overrides, it, it neutralizes, it, it overpowers whatever the enemy might be throwing at me. I believe we have a right to God's peace at all times. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace belongs to you. And Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. It doesn't originate with the mind. Although if we keep our mind stayed on him, he will keep our mind in perfect peace as well. But really, peace is a fruit of the spirit. It comes from the heart. And I have a deep, profound peace in my heart that no situation or circumstance in life can uproot or nullify because the peace of God transcends anything the enemy can throw at me. 
This is every believer's inheritance. This belongs to you. You have a right to wake up in the morning with peace in your heart. You have a right to go through every situation in your day, good, bad, or ugly, with the peace of God reigning in your heart. In fact, God's peace is meant to be constant, that nothing would uproot or um, undermine that peace. And Jesus did say it this way, I will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. Now, a lot of Christians waste tremendous amounts of time being worried and anxious and troubled about many things. That's what Jesus said to Martha. You know, Martha, get it together. You're anxious and troubled about many things. And you know what? You have no peace. You should be more like Mary, who's sitting at my feet, learning of me. And she is having her mind, her thoughts, her emotions, her heart focused on me. And Mary has found that secret place of the Most High God, abiding under the shadow of his wings, and he's keeping her in perfect peace. Can I just suggest that you will get a lot more done in your day, you will accomplish a lot more, the quality will be much better, and the fruit will be much more long-lasting if you can do it out of God's peace rather than your striving. There's something about the peace of God. Jesus was so full of God's peace that he could stand up in a boat in the middle of a life-threatening storm where his fishermen friends were freaking out and sure they were going to die. And from his innermost being, the peace that was there, out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke and he simply said, peace, be still. That to me is an overcomer. That to me is the kingdom of God because the peace he had on the inside came out of his mouth and brought peace to his circumstances, peace to his you know, surroundings or his situation. And that's what the words of our mouth should always do. We should bring peace and order into confusion and disruption. I believe our words carry a lot of weight, and I believe our words can be full of fear, anxiety, you know, um, distress, or our words can be full of peace and quietness and confidence, knowing who God is and that he is still on the throne. The peace of God is your right. It is your inheritance. It is who is in you. His name is the Prince of Peace. He's in you, and you get to manifest that every day, all day. Finally, the third thing, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy. Wow, what a great word. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I'm amazed at how many Christians have been willing to sell out their joy. 
And then they wonder why they lack strength. They lack stamina. You know, they can barely, you know, get through a day, let alone a year or 10 years in terms of God's will, because they're not allowing the joy of the Lord to be their strength. The scripture I'm quoting is from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is not a, a human feeling. Joy is one of the fruits of the spirit, the spirit man, not your soul, not your emotions. Joy is not based on circumstances or things that happen. Joy is from the spirit realm and is based on our inheritance that we have in Christ. So God wants us to have joy. Jesus said, these things I write unto you, that you might have joy, and that your joy might be full. You want to know what the Christian life really should be like? It should be a fountain of joy coming up inside of you from your spirit man, which is so abundant, so overflowing, so overwhelming, that it spills on everyone you get around. I can't tell you how many Zoom calls we do uh, these days. It's almost all Zoom calls around the world because of the COVID lockdowns. And so um, call after call all around the world. The first 10 minutes is hearing all the bad news that they need to share and all the things the enemy has done or people have done. And this cloud over their countenance and the... Uh, frown on their face and then you know I begin sharing the word I begin reminding them of the promises of God I begin to release the comfort of the Holy Spirit and I see those gray clouds move out of the way I hear the word of God bringing light and truth and when they know the truth it sets them free and I see the joy return I was on a call a couple of days ago, and this uh, international leader had been uh, trapped in a no-win situation for over 20 years. He was miserable. His life was just one heartache after the other. Uh, he really had no joy, no vision, no hope. And I just began to speak the truth to him. And within an hour and a half, he went from despair to the joy of the Lord returning. His countenance actually looked 15 years younger. He had the light of God on his face. He had hope again. He got delivered of several evil spirits that were robbing him and actually destroying things in his life. And I've had uh, probably two or three emails from him since then celebrating the transformation that came and the joy that he's walking in. You know, um, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I see Christians a lot who are making sacrifices and they're trying to do these things to somehow please God but they're not doing it cheerfully. They're doing it 
really by constraint. They're doing it, you know, out of a sense of obligation or out of some kind of debt or like the elder brother sweating under the hot sun, pushing the plow, you know, trying to earn their father's favor. This is not what God had in mind at all. God loves a cheerful giver. I say this often to Christians. If you can't do something cheerfully, if you can't do something with the joy of the Lord, don't do it because it's not an offering that's pleasing to him. He wants you to be a hilarious giver. <laughs> I was uh, asking in our church years ago for one of the ushers to say, you know, the prayer over the offering on a Sunday morning. And he was, you know, praying and he said, Father, we thank you that you just love a delirious giver. <laughs> he said delirious instead of hilarious. And I think sometimes our giving is delirious because we're doing it almost again out of this um, just sheer uh, obligation or debt. That's not the relationship God desires to have with you. He delights when you do his will. And we delight to do his will. It should be joy, joy, joy. And so I call forth that fountain from within, the fountain of joy that not only spills over you and washes you with the clean and pure water of the word, but that gets on others, that living water, and just brings hope and refreshing and renewal to them. This is the kingdom of God. This is abundant living. And this is my prayer for you, that every day, starting today, number one, the righteousness of God belongs to you, and you are complete in him. Number two, the peace of God is keeping your mind and your heart in perfect peace. And regardless of what circumstances come, your peace is uninterrupted. And thirdly, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It keeps you going every day, all day. And at the end of the day, there's still joy left over for you to fall asleep praising God for all the great things he did today. That is my blessing on you. That is my understanding of how we walk in the abundant life that Jesus came to give. May you know this abundant life today and every day for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. If you'd like to connect or find other resources, please visit us at masterkey.guide.